and I seen Abraham Ritz and he tells me, listen, he says, this charge they have you on means it carries a 99 year sentence with a possibility of no parole. When Sally Burns was killed, Anthony was 16 years old, placing him under the Youth Offenders Act. If Anthony had been charged with that offence, he could spend up to seven years in prison. With ulterior motives of making Anthony or a family member talk, the civil rights violation charge was in place. Maximum sentence, 99 years. This is what the civil rights violation means. He goes, one, you caused his debt. Not that I killed him, I caused his debt. He can't grow old. He can't be married to his wife. He can't work. He can't see his children grow up. He can't be a grandfather. He can't go on vacation on and on. It's got to be fucking kidding me. He says it's called a civil rights violation. He says we're going to go to trial. Anthony's bail was paid off and they began preparations for the trial. However, Abraham Gritz required further assistance. What happens? He says, I need to get somebody else in on the case. It's all right. So... They get me out on bail and they posted a million dollars bail. So about maybe three days later, he says, I'm going to introduce you to a lawyer, William Kunstler. William Kunstler was a radical lawyer and civil rights activist known for defending some high-profile cases in America during the 60s and 70s. From defending the revolutionary Communist Party, Black Panther members, draft dodgers and various mobsters, Kunstler was never far from controversy. Some of the notable people he defended include the Chicago 7, Lenny Bruce, Asada Shakur, and Martin Luther King Jr. So I'm in the diplomat. I see this crackpot comes walking in. One big briefcase under one arm, another one under the other arm. He's got hair that look like Bozo the fucking clown. He's got big black horn rim glass. He's got eyebrows that you could paint the fucking building with it. This is William Kunstler. And I looked at him, I said, this fucking guy is going to represent, are you fucking kidding me? The guy looks like he came out of the fucking insane asylum. Said he's the best. Armed with one of the highest profile litigators, Anthony and his family prepared to fight the unwinnable case. But despite the backing of William Kunstler, the emotional stress of the trial was taking its effect on Anthony's family. Well, my mother definitely wasn't happy. Let's put it that way. My mother almost took a nervous breakdown because like I said before, I'm her only child. So she took up every bed. My father was pissed because he didn't want me, to, you know, he didn't want me involved in anything like this. But it just happened, you know. There was nothing they could do about it. You know, this is something that I wanted to be. After seeing my uncles, Uncle Lucky coming to the house, and my uncle Frank and my grandfather, I wanted to be a gangster. It's exactly what I wanted to be. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know for nothing. This is what I wanted to be. And as Anthony had learned, being a gangster had its highs and lows. Next came the trial. We go to trial, and they have everything against against me in the trial. They have that I'm hanging out with organized crime. They have that my relatives, who they were. And uh, Concert tells me, he says, listen to me. He says, you're going to get convicted. Now, what the fuck am I doing going to trial? He goes, listen to me. going to get convicted, but I got a rabbit in the hat I can pull out. He goes, trust me on this one. I said, Okay. So I thought maybe making a deal. I said, well, could we make a deal? He goes, you don't make a deal. He says, because if you make a deal, he says, you can't pull it back. You're admitting guilt. He goes, this way here, it's a civil rights violation. With the case weighing heavily towards the prosecution, it didn't take long for a result. Jury come back in two hours, guilty. Right off the top. Judge sentences me to 99 years with the possibility of no parole. 
I'm looking at him. You got to be fucking kidding me. What the fuck? This guy is worse than me. They shipped me out that same night to Atlanta. They didn't wait two or three days. They shipped me the fuck out that night. Next day, I'm in Atlanta. They flew us down to Atlanta. And just like that, Anthony was shipped out to Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. When I got to Atlanta, we got off the prison plane. I remember the plane was called the Sierra Pacific. The plane was confiscated from a drug deal, and they would use it to transfer prisoners like across the country. They put us on a bus, and we were driving up a road. You drove up this road, and you said that this road was like an ominous vision. I had like trees were like this, overhanging into one another, dark, cloudy, damp. And when you were coming up, you would start to see the prison. The prison was an old castle. It looked like fucking Dracula's castle. This was a place that you went that you didn't want to be, that you didn't want to die in this place. But this place definitely either had to see, it had to see a lot of death, this place, because the place was very spooky. When I got in, the halls were so big that when you walked through them, you could hear your footsteps echo. The halls were tremendous, but you could see it was, it was a prison. It wasn't the, it, let's put it, it wasn't no resort, let's put it that way. And that night when I got in, they threw me in the hole, which is solitary confinement, just by myself in the hole. And I was, I was in there until, the next day, when a counselor and Abraham Gritz came in to see me. He asked me how I'm doing. I says, fine. I says, you know, as well as I can be. I'm doing 99 fucking years over here. He says, don't worry about it. He says, I have something. I told you I had a rabbit to pull out of the hat, and I got it. He says, well, what is it? You want to get out of here? I turned around, I told counselor, who do I got to kill? He says, don't talk like that in here. I said, I'm just saying. He goes, listen, they have a deal. The government has a program for, for uh, uh, criminals, offenders, and everything, only for, not for murder. If it's murder one, we couldn't get you into this. I said, okay. He goes, you would have to serve at least two years in the Southeast Asian Conference. I looked at him, I said, the Southeast Asian Conference in the military don't sound bad to me. He said, then you'll be out. Your record will be wiped out because you're under the Youth Defenders Act. It'll be completely, there's no record, nothing gone. I said, okay. So he gave me the forms to fill out. Not fill out, excuse me, forgive me, the forms to sign. I signed everything I had to sign. They left. He said, you'll be out of here in a day or two. Next day, these two trees with legs come walking in. I called them trees with legs. These guys had to be six foot six apiece. And these guys were wall-to-wall fucking muscle. I'm t- i never seen guys that big that close in my life. Guy turns around. He goes, Anthony Raimondi? I says, look at him. He says, Yeah. He goes, step away from the bars. And I sure, I knew they were MPs because they had the uniform and the MPs. I said, wow, these fuck. I said, uh-oh. I stepped back, turned around, they put the, they didn't even, in fact, they didn't even handcuff me behind my back. They put the cuffs on me in the front, had the waist chain, I had the shackles on my feet. Took me to the car, and they started going down to the Carolinas to Camp Lejeune. By 1970, the Vietnam War is taking its toll. Having lasted 15 years, the US government is struggling to find willing participants. With draft dodging becoming more and more common, a flow of new soldiers was drying up. This new scheme allowed convicted criminals to serve their term in the military, fighting in Vietnam. As a teenager, Anthony didn't realise what he had signed up for. We were driving down and one MP was hungry. Now they had, now you got a picture, they had me in the back of this wagon, you had a driver and an escort, 
and these two girls on each side, and I'm handcuffed to each one of them. So even if I try to run away, I'm handcuffed to both guys. They're arguing back and forth. One guy wanted to stop to eat, the other guy said, no, let's drive too. And, they're, and I'm getting, they're like rocking back and forth. I'm in the middle like a fucking pinball, getting bounced back and forth. So the guy finally says, all right, pull over here, we'll go get something to eat. So I looked at the two guys and said, do me a favor. They looked at me and said, what? So you guys gotta do me a favor. I said, yeah, what? I said, if you decide to run one way and he decides to run another way, do me one favor. One of you unhandcuff me because you'll split me in fucking two. They started laughing. They got me out of the car, and the guy said, I'm gonna do you a favor. I said, what? Because I'm gonna take the handcuffs off you. I looked at this guy, and I'm saying, something's wrong. He's gonna take the handcuffs off you in the waist chain. You're gonna come in there, you're gonna eat with us. This way, nobody starts looking at you and staring at you to think we're just a bunch of guys here. And besides, every time I gotta go take a piss, I don't have to drag you with me. I say, fine. He said, but let me tell you, if you try to run away, he said a point blank, I'll shoot you dead. We went to the diner because I knew it was going to be the last good meal I was going to get for a while. And then we went in, we had, you know, we ate, got done. We went back into the car and they didn't even handcuff me to each other this time. We drove all the way through and we got, finally got to Camp Lejeune. They took me out and the guy didn't even put the handcuffs on me. They brought me in and I went into the barracks that I was supposed to be at and I went to sleep. Camp Lejeune, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Founded during World War II, it has been a Marine Corps training facility ever since. Then it was about maybe 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, I hear a guy screaming, wake up, you motherfuckers, you cocksuckers. You know, what the fuck you think this is, a, a Boy Scout camp? Or who was it? It was like Captain Amiel Bass. Man, let me tell you, this guy fucking hated me. One, like I said before, because I was Italian, and two, because I came from New York. This guy beat me from one side to another. I, there was a, they had us all lined up one day, and the same day, rather, excuse me, they had us all lined up, and he's going up to everybody going, you think you're a tough guy? Nobody would answer him. This one idiot turns around and says, yeah, yeah, he beat this guy so fucking bad they had to put this guy in the infirmary. He came up to me and he says, you think you're a tough guy? And I said to myself, there ain't no fucking way I'm answering this question. Never said a word to him. But he just didn't like me, like I said, because I was Italian and because I came from Brooklyn. We were doing basic training. Every time he had to, he had to do something, I was his practice dummy. So one day, we're about maybe two weeks into, you know, we were doing pull-ups, chin-ups, we were running, jogging, and everything. And about two weeks into, he starts throwing with hand-to-hand combat. And he calls me up. I said, here we go, again, another beating. I got hit once, I got hit twice. So he says, block me, block me. So I went, I blocked him and instinctively I hit him. Worst fucking mistake I ever made. He, I, next thing I knew I was on my fucking ass and he had his foot on my throat oh. over here. And I'm looking up at him, I'm saying to myself, this is a big fucking mistake. Basic training was proving difficult for Anthony and the worst realizations were still to come. So one day I says, why am I getting all this fucking training? I'm going to the Southeast Asian conference. There's no company he goes to me, he goes, you squiddy, that fucking dumb shit from brains. This is what you talk about. He goes, Southeast Asian conferences, Vietnam. You're going to fucking Vietnam. I heard that. I said, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Now I knew what Vietnam was from hearing on TV, but I never heard of it called the Southeast Asian Conference. I says, man, I'm fucked. And I'm fucked. I said, I don't think I'm coming back from this place. I'm fucked. The grasp of his situation was setting in. Anthony was struggling to survive basic training. 
let alone surviving Vietnam. Anyway, he kept doing what he had to do to me. And there's one day, I think I told him to go fuck himself. And I caught a beating, man. The side of my fucking head was like this. And he put me on uh, KP duty. Instead of working in the kitchen, I kitchen police. He put me on the roof, scraping off the corrugated iron roof. So I'm up on the ladder. I'm scraping in the fucking sun. My head, my head is out like this. Colonel comes walking over. The colonel calls me down. I come down. He goes, where's Captain Amiel Bess? I told him where he was. The colonel looks at me, grabs my chin, looks at me. He goes, who hit you? He said, what hit me? He said, well, how'd you get this to your face? And I said, I fell off the ladder. He goes, somebody hit you. I says, Colonel, with due respect, sir, nobody hit me. I fell off the ladder. With that, who comes walking over? Captain Bass. And I'm looking at him. I'm looking at the colonel and saying, why am I in the middle of this? He turns around and tells Captain Amiel Bass, he says, I want you to put him on a week's bed rest. The man's hurt. He goes, he says, okay, no problem. Captain Bass tells me, go to the barracks. He says, you're on a week's bed rest. It's okay. I went into the barracks and I'm hanging out. I'm on the bunk, about maybe 20 minutes, half hour later, I hear the door open, I see Captain Bass comes walking in. I saw oh, I'm fucking dead. I said, this guy's gonna give me another fucking beat. And I says, for what, I don't know, but he walks over, he looks at me, doesn't say a word. He sits down on the bed next to me and he goes, I wanna ask you something. Now I'm figuring he's gonna ask me something. Any minute I'm gonna scare the fist hit me in the head. He says, how come you didn't tell the Colonel that I hit you? I said, Captain Bass, what are you talking about? He goes, why didn't you tell the colonel I hit you? I said, Captain, I don't know who you hit, but it wasn't me. I said, I fell off the ladder. That's when I was cleaning the roof. So he looked at me and he says, what'd you say? I said, I fell off the ladder. You never hit me. How come you didn't tell the colonel? It's Captain Bass. I don't know what you're talking about. You never hit me. I said, besides, whatever goes on between me and you is strictly between me and you. But I fell off the ladder. With that, he says, get a week's bed rest. You can walk around, do whatever you want. That day on, I became his personal pupil. This guy taught me personally, hand-to-hand combat, shooting with a rifle, uh, taking bombs apart, how to put them together. I became his prize pupil, this guy. Just I kept my mouth shut. This guy didn't want to know from that. I could do no wrong with this guy's eyes. If I would have killed half the guys on the compound, this guy would have never said I did it. And he kept teaching me. And I was his prize pupil, this guy. With things turning his way, basic training continued step by step and Anthony grew from a rough kid from Brooklyn to a hard-nosed killing machine first of all when I was in uh, Camp Lejeune they were teaching me how to be a sniper I made sniper marksman and sharpshooter I made it all in one day and they taught us hand-to-hand combat now once I started going into special operations that's when they sent us to Paris Island Paris Island Port Royal South Carolina if you've ever seen the film Full Metal Jacket the military base, it's that one. And they were teaching me over there, Walt. So now Special Ops and the Marine Corps and the Army, they all merged into one at that time. So it didn't make a difference who I was with. But the outfit that I was in, we were the life, as they called us, because we were all criminals. Everybody there either had 99 years, uh, 100 years. Uh, you were there for like murder two, murder three, manslaughter, but never murder one, because you couldn't get into it. The lifers made their way down from Paris Island as they transformed from unwanted criminals to special ops in the US Army. At this point in Anthony's story, he learns how to kill with whatever weapon he has available. If you're faint of heart, I'd suggest skipping forward a minute or two. Paris Island isn't really that much farther away, but in Paris Island, they teach you more things. No, they teach you 
like uh, to be a demolitions expert, how to make the bombs, make them, set them in the ground that you can get a whole squad of men walking over and there's one guy trips in the front, you take out the whole crew. Then they taught you how to be an engineer, which meant you went in and you found the bombs and dismantled them. Then they taught you how to kill, like they didn't teach us enough in fucking in Camp Lejeune. They taught you how to kill with a knife, with a gun, with a wire. Now, a wire, which is a wire, very fine wire that you would carry. You wrap it around somebody's head and you just pull, cuts right through the arteries and everything, dead. They also taught us if you can't get a wire, you got barbed wire. Do it with barbed wire. You get two, say, pieces of wood or whatever about like that. You make sure the barbed wire is tightened around. And you know how you got the spokes on the barbed wire or the razor wire? When you put it around somebody, you just pull, they're gone. It, over and done with. They taught you that if nothing else worked, then you had a paper clip and you went hand to hand, you kill them with a paper clip. How you open it up, put it between your fingers, just keep stabbing them in the neck. You're going to open up the arteries. Guy's going to bleed out. Showed you how to kill with your hands. In other words, you could pull a man's ears off. We were using about six or seven pounds of pressure. Just grab a man by the ears, I guess, just rip him right down. Then they said another way they taught us was always hit him in the temple with your hand or stick your finger right into the eye socket. If you put your finger into the eye socket, you will reach the brain and you can fuck them up. Oh yeah, you'll reach the brain. If you're quick enough, you hit them upwards into the nose. But before that, it's not like they show in the movie, you know, the guy hits you underneath the nose like that. No, you gotta break the nose up here first. So you hit him, break the nose, then you hit up. When the car, it's not a bone, it's cartilage in the nose. When that's disconnected, you drive it up into the brain. But. If the guy's got you, let's say a man has you like by the collars or something, you come up with your hand right under the chin. You hit him so hard that when you jerk his head back, you cut a spinal cord and you break the and you break some of the bones in there. And then guys defenseless, you do whatever you want them, then you kill him. You break his neck, there's a certain way you twist when you break the guy's neck, you snap his neck, and that's the end of it. Break him at the elbows, break his legs. They told you how to do all that with your hands. The whole thing of that was to incapacitate whoever you were fighting with. This way you get a clear enough shot to kill him. But if you got a gun, you don't do it. You just blast him in the head and that's the end of it. You got a knife, you hit him over here. It's called the Wingate area. It's between the heart and your sternum. You pull the blade in and you go up. When you go up, there's your windpipe, your heart right there goes right in. Just turn it, that's it, gone. You'll never survive that. Hit him in the back in the kidneys. He gets the kidneys go out right away, guy's done. In the ribs, wherever you want to do it with a knife. Slowly but surely, Anthony was being transformed into a brutal killer. He could comfortably turn a simple household item into a deadly weapon. These were skills that would last a lifetime. What happened was when I made sharpshooter, marksman, and sniper with a rifle, I made it the same day. That's when uh, Captain Bass told me about the special unit. If I wanted to go into special operations, which I found out he's the guy in charge of it. So he says, when we go to Nam, he says, you're going to go with me. He goes, I'm, I'll be your boss over there. Because he was in charge of our group, the lifers. In other words, all, everybody in there was a criminal, so he was in charge of us. So I agreed. So I went to Paris Island with him, and I started getting all this training. And then they also, they taught me how to make napalm with just... Now, unfortunately, we won't be telling you how napalm is made. Let's save that for another time. That's all it is. Once you mix it together, you make napalm. You light that and throw it on somebody, you can't put it out with water. It burned right through your whole skin. Paris Island was taught there. We were taught to strictly kill. Don't wound them. Don't bring them back. Kill it. And that's the end of it. And go to the next, and go to the next, uh, 
go to your next, you know, your next job or whatever you want to call it over there. But they taught us how to be a sniper, how to look for them in the trees, in the jungle, and what rifles to use, the type of uh, ammunition, how heavy the grains of gunpowder have to be in the rifle and everything. As training went on, the day of deployment drew nearer. Uh, Captain Bass came over and told us we were supposed to be going to Vietnam. We were going to leave on the 28th of October. So what happened, everybody in the other outfits were getting passes to go home to be with their family and everything. And I was a little, you know, I was a little down in the mouth, you could say. And he came over to me one day and he said, what's the matter? You know, everybody's going home, you know, to see their families and everything. He said, I'm just, you know. I wish I could have went home to see my family. He says, why? I said, just in case. I said, what do you mean? I said, just in case, you know, if, you know, if I don't make it back, at least I see, see my family. I said, okay. About a day later, he comes over to me and says, come here, I want to talk to you. I said, what? He goes, tomorrow morning, the MPs are taking you to the airport. He says, you're going home. I look, what do you mean I'm going home? He goes, you're going home. He goes, and you're coming back here on the 15th. He says, you're coming back here. He goes, the MPs will pick you up in in New York at the airport, bring you to the house. On the morning of the 15th, they will come pick you up, take you back to the airport. When you land over here, the MPs will pick you up. I looked at him, I said, you kidding me? He said, no, I'm telling you, I'm going to do this for you. He took a liking to me, like I said, he goes, you've been very good with me. He says, and I want you to see what you, you know, go with your family. He says, but with Captain Bass, there was always a but. If you don't come back, he said it point blank. I'll hunt you down and I will kill you. Anthony flew home to Brooklyn for what could be the last time he sees his family. And I forget, I ring at the bell because that's how I have to keep my father open the door. He opens the door and he practically pulls me in the house. He thought I escaped. I said, Pop, no. I said, I said Pop, no. I didn't say, I said, as I'm on leave, I got to leave. My mother, she heard my voice. She come barreling down the stairs. I said, Ma, you know, take it easy. She goes, what happened? I said, no, I'm home on leave. They gave me four days leave. She started cooking right there. She started cooking right away. And she started calling up everybody to come over to the house. And I was at the house. Next day was my birthday. It was October 12th. I got there the morning of the 11th. Next day was my birthday. And uh, my cousin Mac picks me up. He says, I'm going to take you down below. Because some of the guys wanted to see you. You know, it's all right. So I seen some of them. Then he says, we're going to go out. To Little Italy, we're going out to Mulberry Street, we're going to go to Casabella's. Because they have a party for you upstairs. It's all right. Went to the party, everything was going good. And this jerk off kid from the neighborhood got into a beef with somebody and he shoots the guy. Now I got a fucking party going on. It's my birthday. This fucking idiot shoots somebody. I want to kill this kid. My cousin says, Come on, we got to get you out of here. So when they were getting me out up the block at, at Ferrara's, there was a news crew filming a commercial. When they heard about gunshots, they come running down the block with the cameras. I thought, that's all the fuck I need now. I'm gonna be on the five o'clock news tonight. I'm supposed to be on, I'm on leave. I'm supposed to be at the house and now I'm over here. They get me, they throw me in the car. We shoot back to Brooklyn. He says, don't worry about it. My mother had something planned that night. She had a party for me and everybody came, it was fine. Next day, I went, uh, I went up to the Bronx to see Uncle Danny. I seen him up in the Bronx. He was my grandfather's younger cousin. He's on Arthur Avenue. He was running everything up there. And then went around seeing all the guys and everything. Then on the 14th, I was back down to the diplomat and I was all over the place. I had plenty of guys. So what happened, that night my cousin Mac and all of them came back to the house. He said, being I'm leaving in the morning, they come over. So they came over to the house. 
and they're giving me envelopes. Oh, what is this, for your birthday? My birthday was fucking two days ago. Well, these are for you. Envelopes like this with cash, man. The fuck am I going to do with this? I'm on a fucking knob. What am I going to do with this? This is for when you come home. They were more positive than me that I was coming home. So I got all the envelopes. I gave them to my father. I said, Pop, put them in the bank or whatever. I said, save it for when I come home. But I thought, where the fuck am I going to spend this money? I'm going over there tomorrow. What are you kidding me? Anthony enjoyed his brief visit to Brooklyn, seeing family and friends. The next morning, it was time to depart. He was going to war. They came six o'clock in the morning. The MPs came. You know, I says, you know, I asked them if they want to come in. They said, no, you want anything to drink? No. Then, you know, we'll give you some time to say goodbye to everybody. Say goodbye to my cousins and my mother and father, naturally. And I told my mother, don't worry, she, you know, I'll be in touch with her. I went out, the MPs took me to the airport. They took me to Idlewild Airport, which is the Kennedy Airport. Got on the plane, landed back in Atlanta. They picked me up from there, brought me back to uh, back to Camp Lejeune. They broke because I was leaving out of Camp Lejeune. Then Captain Emil Bass lowered the hammer. And he says, uh, we're not leaving on the 28th. I said, oh, he goes, we're leaving on the 21st. So you got to be fucking me. Today's the 15th. That's a wow. hours. We got to get everything ready. And the morning of the 21st is when we took off of Vietnam. We all got together and we started going in on. Next time on The Enforcer. Once that happened, they started shooting like crazy this night. They were just shooting like this anything. We were talking to Alpha Charlie companies is we got one, but there's more. The Enforcer is a Podular Media production in conjunction with 360 DMG and recorded at Carpe VM Studios, New York. All music copyright is owned by Epidemic Sound. Narration, storyboarding and audio production by Rob Crawford. Scripting and storyboarding by Adrian Horton. Interviewing and research by Robert Huxley. On-site recordings from Charles De Benedictis, Rod Marcus, Rod Nunez and Jeff Rao. The Enforcer is based on When the Bullet Hits the Bone, the amazing and possibly true life story of the last Mafia Enforcer. All accounts and claims are that of Anthony Raimondi.